Hey, before we get into the podcast, I just want to thank this week's sponsor. This week's sponsor is Sock Panda. They are a monthly sock subscription service, and I have personally bought them for members of my family, specifically my daughter. She absolutely loved them. Once a month, she'd be able to go out to the mailbox and get a new pair of socks, and it was always a surprise on like what they were. Sometimes it was like a surfing squirrel and other times there were aliens it was just pretty much all sorts of socks for everything you could possibly imagine and they have men's socks women's socks tween socks uh kid socks and you can go on you can purchase just one set or you can get a subscription and it makes for a great gift and this we're heading into the holiday season and supply chains are an issue so this is going to be a great gift that gives for the whole year or six months or however long you want to sign up for the sock subscription and even better than that, the Sock Panda team is, is dedicated to using its socks to make the world a better place. The company donates socks to those in need for every purchase. As of today, the company has donated over 141,000 pairs of socks to homeless shelters, low-income senior centers, hospitals, and underprivileged classrooms throughout the country. You can't go wrong with Sock Panda. They make great stuff, and they do great things. And today, they're giving our listeners a 15% discount. So you can go to SockPanda.com slash discounts slash Inebriart15 to get 15% off your order. And we just want to say thank you to them for sponsoring the show. And make sure you go there and get some socks for yourself or for your loved ones this holiday season. Welcome back, Inebriates. This is Andy, the Inebriar Podcast. Um, and we're always trying to mix up who we have, you know, not so we're not all just the same style of creative person. And uh, I feel like we've been getting tons of musicians lately, so we've been working hard to kind of mix it up a little bit. And today we're joined by an actor. Uh, oh, you know what, Michael? I should have asked you this ahead of time, but our fans are used to me screwing up names. How do you pronounce your last name so I don't mess it up? So the correct pronunciation is Devorzon. Divorce on. Okay, I feel like I would have probably came pretty close to that, but yeah, uh, well, pretty close is a is a good start. It's it's kind of my thing. I, yeah. I tend to script names all the time. But uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. So, um, you know, an actor, and uh, you came across my emails because uh, you, you got a new movie coming out and uh, Deadlock. Yeah. I think I've heard of it. Yes. <laughs> Deadlock. You you, you yeah. pause for so long. And I'm like, oh, my God, did I just screw that up? <laughs> no, I thought for a second you were like, oh, my God, I've got the wrong guy on the show. Uh, yeah, um, kind of like, well, like, I'm yeah, pretty that sure that's. A, yeah, that was a great expression. Thanks for that. That was <laughs> really genuinely brilliant. Uh, yes. Yeah, so the movie's called Deadlock and it's uh, it's out everywhere in theaters and VOD and on demand on December 3rd. Oh, not, so it actually will be out by the time this goes up. So our listeners can check that out. Um, the thing that really surprised me about this and caught, caught my attention most is um, it's got this new up and coming actor in Bruce Willis. I mean, some people might have heard of him, but he plays a bad guy in this. Yeah, I've heard of, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's yeah. done a few uh, romantic comedies, right? Isn't yeah, I think so. Known yeah. for initially. And yeah. then he got into the action genre. Yeah, I think he's uh, like working on a Hamlet or something. 
Yeah, that's yeah. what I heard. Yeah. So I know, I know. I thought that was particularly appealing was to see him um, uh, as the villain. Because I think it's safe to say a lot of us, uh, most of us, I'll speak for myself, I, I definitely think of him uh, as always being the hero, as always being the badass, mm -hmm. you know, uh, cool hand Luke hero. And so um, for him to be taking on the role of, of, of a straight up villain, you know, on a mission, I thought that I was, you know, hoping that that would be an interesting uh, turn for him as an actor and for people to want to watch that. I always find that surprising. Well, not surprising, but I think it's kind of like a typical thing when you get to that kind of, you know, like him, Will Smith, Tom Cruise. They're always like the hero, the action adventure guy. And I feel like a lot of actors, at least the ones I talk to, really enjoy playing the villains. How do you feel? Do you rather would you rather be the good guy? Or would you rather be the villain? Or? I'm open. And I think if you can play both, then you're you're a versatile actor. Um in this movie, uh, you know, I play a good guy who's basically under duress as a result of what's what's going on. Um, but I definitely put in my time playing bad guys. And and um, so they're very familiar to me. And yes, they are fun. I mean, um, uh, I recently had a movie come out on Lifetime called Her Deadly Groom, where I played a romantic leading man who's also a psychopath killer. Mm hmm. And, you know, those are interesting roles because you you kind of got to go deep and there's subtleties to the, you know, to what you what you can do. Um, but what I can tell you as, as an actor, and I've seen this happen with a lot of people, is, is whatever, usually whatever an actor's casting is when they're young, mm -hmm. they fight it. The girl next door wants to be the hot, sexy bombshell. <clears throat> You know, the hot, sexy bombshell wants to be taken, you know, wants to be able to play, you know, roles that are not seen in that light. The yeah. the, the bad guys, the, the people that get called in and cast as the bad guys suddenly start thinking, you know, um, you know, I want to play good guys. And then the good guys, they want to be the bad guys. It's like it's like the actress who keeps getting called in to play the prostitute. Yeah. At some point, they usually get angry. They don't want to be the prostitute. They want to be the girl next door. So for me, as a young actor, I was always called in for the bad guy. Oh, OK. Or 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 a good not necessarily like a, a, a psychopath, but we're talking like, you know, a guy that was capable of some some danger. Oh, more, morally gray. Yes. And so yeah. as a young actor, I remember. I got called in for a general meeting with uh, for a soap opera and I was in my, my mid 20s. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty wild, actually, back then. But I remember it was my first meeting with this casting director, and she looked across the table and she said, you're trouble. And I started laughing and I was like, why? Why do I have to be trouble? You know, and I just it, it was it was just a fun moment. But I took it seriously. I was like, why is she looking at me seeing trouble? Right. So this kind of became a thing. You know, it's like so what I've learned as I've grown older and I was taught when I was young, but it was hard to listen because you're always trying to like break the mold that people see you in is, is first you have to embrace your casting, mm -hmm. whatever that may be, whatever it is when you walk into a room that people initially see the vibe, the, and, and you need to learn to embrace that. So that's what I've done is I've learned to embrace that. And then also 
hopefully be given the opportunity to play, you know, roles that are, that are, that are different than that kind of initial, uh, do you, do you initial think assessment of, of what characters I could play. Do you think that's because a lot of kind of our storytelling is built around kind of like archetypes, you know, where, you know, the tall, dark stranger or, you know, the, the, the young upstart. And it's kind of like a, a shorthand that, you know, we've been using forever. So it's almost, it, I don't want to say it's like lazy because it's not really lazy, but it's almost like a, a quick way to, explain who the character is if you're not doing you know something more you know if you're not doing like a weird quentin tarantino movie if you're just kind of doing a run-of-the-mill movie it's it's kind of like an easier way to take someone who's a little kind of looks apart so the audience just kind of knows who what who that is and what to expect from them do you think it's that kind of thing yeah that's part of it for sure i mean you know casting directors and directors and producers and stuff like that they're definitely you know they're definitely looking for certain looks but sometimes they get surprised you know and 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 then you have you know actors that are really at the top of their game mm-hmm. that have the versatility to really you know do both and they can pick and choose but but you know for mo- for most of us we walk in the room and or 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 someone sees our picture and they're going to make an assessment you know uh, of of what character he might be able to play and you might be able to surprise them. Um, but I think it goes, what it, what it's, it reminds me of at this stage of my life is embracing the good and bad in life yeah. and embracing the good and bad in myself, because we all have the good and bad and it's not just one or the other. So um, as an actor, it's being able to, to work at tapping into both of those. And so when you go through the audition process, you know, you kind of mentioned how you were when you were younger. Is there like one thing that you did when you were younger that like, when you look back, you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. You know, that's the reason why I didn't get those jobs or like, you know, like what's one bit of thing. If you could pick up the phone and, and call a younger version of yourself that you could be like, yeah, don't, don't do that. Um, yeah, as far as auditioning, I don't I don't know if I would have one one thing that stood out as, uh, you know, to something that I a mistake that I made in the room, you know, that I thought, oh, my God, how, why did I do that? You know, um, uh, you know, it was just more performance. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, did I feel like the performance was on? Did I feel like it was off? Did I, you know, struggle through? I guess. Look, we're as actors, we're married to the words uh, and the words and what the writers do is, is very important. But um, I think one thing I would communicate to my younger self or to younger actors is, is that, that it's less about the words than what you embody and do you embody that character. And you need to know the words and you need to respect the writer's words and all that. But a lot of times we get hung up on the words. We get hung up on the words and that uh, keeps us in a box as far as what we can do performance wise. And, and, and the things that are more important, which is, which is really embodying who that, who that person is. So that's kind of a, an advanced uh, suggestion for, for a young actor, but um, um don't take yourself too seriously. That's the, that's, well, that's the good. Like, that's, that's good advice. That's, regardless of what field you're in. 
that's and that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, yeah. I'm still I'm still working on that one. You know, it's like every day. Don't take yourself so seriously. I, I feel like I'm almost the op- polar opposite of that, where I don't take myself seriously at all and to the point where people will try to give me credit. I'm like, I didn't do that. And they're like, no, you did like take credit. <laughs> and I'll be like, no, nah, I'm just an idiot. Um, <laughs> uh-huh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're going into these rehearsals or even like when you're performing on stage and you're trying to embody that character, how do you, how do you kind of compartmentalize your, you know, like if I'm distracted sitting here in front of the, the computer, sending off emails, thinking about like my grocery list or, you know, you know, the argument I had with my kid or, you know, whatever the issue may be, it's not a big deal, but like, how do you, you know, segment that part of your life off so that it's not distracting you while you're trying to embody this other person? Uh, you're talking about leading up to shooting or during shooting or both or uh, we'll start with leading up to shooting. Sure. Um, well, leading up to shooting, um, look, life's still going to happen. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the phone's going to ring, emails are going to come through. There's going to be, you know, uh, responsibilities that, that, that uh, need to be taken care of, but I suppose it's, um, I really just make an effort to spend as much time as I can with the material, um, with building a character, with understanding the arc of the story, with understanding the arc of my character. Um, and, you know, I mean, I suppose it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's still that old thing of like, you know, uh, crunching all the homework before your finals, you know, it's like life still happens, you know, yeah. and like, there's that old thing of like, well, I want to do anything except for what I have to do, you know? And so it's like, I got to take this call, but do you really have to, you know? So I try to really stay focused. I try to block out a lot of, of what's going on and only do things that are essential uh, leading up to the shoot. Um, and then it depends what kind of project it is. If you, if you have a lot of time on set, Mm-hmm. you know, sitting around waiting to do, to do, you know, your scenes, you have, you have more time to study the material and you also have time, you know, to kind of uh, handle whatever may be coming through the pipeline in life. But sometimes um, when you're shooting on a really fast shooting schedule, like, like was uh, deadlock and, and some of the other films I've done, like time is of the essence. There's no, there's no time. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be really prepared and I really try to, you know, in fact, I have some things where I, I, I tell people don't, don't, don't contact me. You know, I'm doing this film. I don't, I don't want to hear about the business, the, this, the, that, you know, because it'll, it'll, it'll take me out. Um, so I really try to stay with the material. And when you're shooting a lot of pages in a day, there's no time really for anything else. It's like, it's like prep for one scene, rehearse it, shoot it. Then what's next. And like, it, and it's always prepping for the next thing. So it, it can be, it can be really exciting and thrilling, but it also, you know, can really like your focus is 100% on the material, on the film, on the project. That's interesting. I feel like, 
myself, I'd probably enjoy that style better. Um, I feel like if I have a deadline to get something accomplished, I'm the type of person that will wait until that deadline. Basically, I'll end up putting myself in that same situation. I feel like I just work better. My brain is more zeroed in on what I'm doing. Um, do you prefer to have the more time to, to, to spend with that um, material or do you kind of prefer that kind of fast go, 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 go? Well, I, I think if it, I think we all want more time. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can speak for myself. You know, time gives you the luxury of exploring the scenes different ways and, and really taking your time. When you're shooting fast, mm -hmm. it's pretty high pressure because there's not a lot of time. You have to get it and you have to get it quickly. And there's not a lot of time to experiment with the scene because yeah. uh, you're trying to make a day. So um, what makes it fun is, is there's, there's like, uh, you can be going, I mean, especially if you're the lead and this one, mm -hmm. I was one of the, the co-stars, but if you're the lead, you're going nonstop. And so right. you're, you're really in it the whole time. So there's no, but at the same time, I think everybody would say, you know, we always, as actors, we would like another take. Mm -hmm. We'd like to try it a different way. We'd like to explore some different options, you know, with the scene. And really you can only do that if you have, you know, if you have the luxury of time. Yeah. That's really and time interesting. is. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. That's really interesting. Time is money, like, so, you know, it has as a visual artist, it's like the number of times that I've worked on something and been like, okay, I like this, but I'm going to tweak it a little more. And then you keep tweaking it and like an hour or two hours later, you're like, I should have just left this. I hate it now. And then like, it's almost like re having to go back and, you know, and, and start all over. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Totally. I mean, I'm a writer too. And so when I write, I mean, it's like every dot, every letter, every word, every sentence, you know, I, you know, I, I have that kind of really obsessive keen eye that I think everything matters. Yeah. But that takes time. That's why I take a long time to write a script. So I'm going to ask you this uh, the, as advice for people who are writing scripts. Uh, you know, I'm asking for a friend who may be just sticking their toe in to a script writing because they had an idea. But how do you write dialogue for someone that is not that's not similar to you in any way, shape or form? For instance, uh, writing dialogue from a female perspective, I'm finding to be very difficult because I'm not female. Um, that uh, my answer to that would be, you know, I think the circumstances um, and the characters mm -hmm. dictate the dialogue. Um, so it's very much a, you know, it's a, it's a tennis match. It's, it's this character hits the ball and says that. And then, uh, of course I have some opinions based on my own living and, mm -hmm. uh, my mom and friends and girlfriends and uh, where I've, maybe formed some opinion of how I think uh, somebody might respond. But, you know, basically a lot of times in some scenes like boy meets girl on campus, mm -hmm. 
you know, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a conversation about life. I think it's, I think it's less about um, he's a man and she's a woman. And it's more about what would this human being say to this human being and what would that human being, how would this human being respond? Mm -hmm. And is this human being interested in taking this human being out on a date or romantically or just looking for friends? And so the circumstances, you know, where are they? Are they on a college campus? Are they on a you know movie studio? Are they in a you know um, you know where where are they and what are, what are the circumstances? Um, so I've written scripts where there's men, there's women, there's all different ethnicities, and it's it's never been a problem for me. I grew up with so many different uh, with such a diverse background of of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and still to this day, I have so many friends. So, um, yeah, I didn't, it, when, when you're writing, do you picture like a specific friend as a character that, that way you kind of feel like they have a specific voice or, or, um, good question. Yes. In some cases, yes, absolutely. In fact, the, the first screenplay that I wrote, um, there were a lot of characters in there that I knew the person. I actually, I actually knew them growing up. Yeah. I knew how they talked. I knew what words they used. I knew how they walked. I knew what they looked like, you know, so there was that. And then also if it's a character that's, that's me, then obviously I, I can, can write that. Um, but then also in some of my late, my later scripts, I've written, you know, female drug kingpins and, and, um, you know, wait, you don't have a female drug kingpin friend. (laughs) (laughs) You were an actor. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, so it's just like using the imagination. It's like, it's like, what does she look like? Does she have long hair? Does she have short hair? Is she, is she beautiful? Is she sexy? Is she mean looking? What does she look like? What does she dress like? And then how does she talk? It comes out like in that particular case, uh, they're they're overseas in another country. So she 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 spoke English, but with an accent, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so in some cases, yeah, it helps if you have a character in mind or even a person in mind. Yeah. Even if there's a person in mind that, you know, that you've crossed paths with, whether it's the barista at the coffee shop or it's somebody here or it's a friend or somebody and, you know, and, and you kind of can write it as if that um, person was going to be the character. And then like in my most recent screenplay, which is a thriller where the female is a lead, I, I wrote this specifically for an actress that mm-hmm. I know, but I didn't necessarily write the dialogue as she would say it because she's very different actually than this character. Yeah. So yeah yeah i i kind of find that helpful like not that a specific actor would ever be cast in that role but to in my head cast someone and be like okay that's who it is because then it almost gives like a meter to the way they speak like i you know i've seen them in things so i kind of know how they speak i know kind of their mannerisms and their tonality and how they would kind of like hit a punchline and and respond to things and i feel like that really was helpful to kind of give the right voice to the right character. 
Nice. Yeah. When you were younger, did you always want to write and act or did one come before the other? Uh, acting came first. Um, so, but I could say maybe that there's some uh, writing in my genetics because my dad's a, a pretty accomplished songwriter and music composer. And both of my brothers write, you know, write songs and, mm -hmm. and lyrics. Um, but the writing came came later for me. But uh, yeah, so growing up, I grew up in an entertainment family. And, and um, so music was a big part of our household. And my dad was always working on different songs and scores for movies and stuff like that. Um, but what made me want to become an actor was as a, as a child, uh, I was watching the old Pink Panther movies. Okay. With Sorry, um, Peter Sellers. Sellers. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And I was obsessed with those movies and I was obsessed with his character. And I used to, I would watch them over and over again and I would do little, I would like reenact the scenes, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then I was also a big fan of smoking the bandit. Of course. And particularly, uh, um, particularly Jackie Gleason. Yep. I just thought, I don't know. The, there was just these larger than life, these, these actors and their characters were just so fascinating. I just thought, so I had that moment as like a 10 year old kid where I was like, God, I would love to do that someday. And it was just kind of a far away dream. And then I did some plays, um, as a young kid and, um, People thought I had a natural talent at it, but, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, really. I was just kind of basically just going with instinct. And uh, um, but that's when the seed was planted. Yeah. So um, I moved to L.A. in the 90s and I started in production uh, for the TV show Melrose Place. That was my first job in Hollywood. I stayed stayed there for three seasons. And that's ironically enough where I met Patrick Muldoon, who is the lead in, uh, in Deadlock. Mm hmm. He came on the show for a year. And so I knew him. So it was very surreal walking onto the set of Deadlock um, 16 years later and seeing Pat. Oh, had you guys not stayed in touch or? We didn't stay in touch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things you didn't. I stayed in touch with a few people, but, you know, the years go by, people get busy. And sure. Um, so it was great to reunite with him. And I was, I was really, you know, I was uh, very excited that he was going to be the, the hero in the movie. And um, so that kind of started my acting journey. The writing thing came about um, about eight years ago. Um, I had an idea for a story and I told it to a very famous director whose name I will not mention. And he recently passed, but he's like, you need to make this into a movie. And, uh, and so that kind of, that started the, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this, this writing thing, uh, you know, a chance. And since then, um, I, I just finished my fourth feature screenplay. I've written a TV pilot. And, and so they're all in development and I love the writing process, you know, and maybe it's partially, like I said, it's in my DNA, it's in my genetics. Um, yeah. and it just feels like a fit for me. Um, I'm not going to lie, like acting, it requires a lot of work. I, you know, I want to pretend like I really know everything and I know what I'm doing, but like, I don't, and I'm, and I'm doing the best that I can. And I learn from people and I'm studying, uh, but something about writing, 
um, it just feels very natural to me and like a fit. So I'm kind of going in that direction and also obviously staying open to the, uh, the opportunities that, that are coming my way acting wise. Now you said your, your whole family writes on some level. Do you send your writing to your, your father, your brothers to kind of get their feedback or in me personally, I like, I like people who give true and honest feedback, like don't spare my feelings. And there's been a few friends where I'm like, wow, man, you didn't have to be that <laughs> rough. <laughs> but I like that better than the person's like, no, I really like it. And I'm like, that's not helpful. You know? It's not, yeah. It's the hardest thing, you know? Yeah. It's the hardest thing when, when, yeah, but I, I'm the same. I'm like you, you know, I mean, uh, you know, if someone doesn't like the script, they think it's got problems, of course, you know, doesn't feel particularly good, but ultimately you want the script to be as good as it can be. So you're right. right. Honest, you know, honest appraisal of the script and feedback is, is greatly appreciated. So yes, to answer your question, they haven't read everything I've written. The last two screenplays I've written, I haven't, I haven't sent to them. Um, but I believe uh, they have read the first two. Yeah. And my mom usually reads everything. She usually reads everything. Yeah. yeah. And they all, and they, and they, they give it to me straight. Yeah. They I feel like brothers definitely would. I, I feel like moms would always be like, well, I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> to some extent. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, she, she used to be an English teacher. So of course there's all the grammatics the things, yeah. but um I think my dad, he's, my dad can have some interesting ideas and my brother will have a pretty in-depth feedback uh, as well. So yeah, they're definitely my go-to, a couple of my go-to people to send the script for a first read. Yeah. Um, I'm just getting to uh, experience that kind of um, family partnership. My daughter is uh, in a graphic design program in school. And so now I'm, having conversations with her as an artist and not as a father and daughter. And it's really, really like, I love it. It's one of my favorite things. Like, do, do you kind of, have you experienced that same thing? Is it different working with, with your family in that capacity opposed to like, you know, another person? Uh, working with them as far as having them read my material. Yeah. And just or... kind of like in a, in a creative, even just in a, in a, you know, read this, tell me what you think is, is that, like, is it more rewarding when they give you critique opposed to like someone else? I don't know if it's more rewarding. Um, uh, like some really big time people have read some scripts of mine and given me feedback. So I've been honored that they would read it because yeah. it's not a, you would think it's an easy ask, but it's not to ask someone to even read a 30 page, you know, uh, pilot. Yeah. Um, what I think makes family um, really unique is, is that you, I know that they want the best for me. Not that my friends or some of my friends that read <clears throat> are not really gifted at what they do and, mm -hmm. and they want to give, but there's that next level of family really wants to, really wants to see you do well, really wants your material to be as good as it can. So I think maybe they, they take, a, take it a little more personal. Mm -hmm. And um, so maybe they go deeper, deeper yeah. layers. They I think from my pers it. Yeah. 
from my perspective, it's like, um, you know, she's my daughter. So maybe it's me just being like, you know, a dad kind of check out my daughter's work kind of stuff, you know, showing the kids picture around. So maybe that's just my, my take on it. But um, when you're writing, do you gravitate towards, like you said, you're working on a thriller. Do you kind of gravitate to one style or one genre? Or do you like to kind of bounce around, do different stuff? Yeah, I've bounced around and done different stuff. My first movie um, is a drama is a, is a dark I wouldn't say a dark comedy. It's a drama with some really strong comedic elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second screenplay that I wrote is a, an adventure comedy. Okay. So that was something different, you know. And um, the third screenplay I wrote was a small town love story using the Hallmark model. Okay. So that was different too. You know, they say, write what you know. Well, what do I know about a small town and romance? Nothing. (laughs) But I studied some movies and I did the best I could. And I actually brought a co-writer on, a female. And so that that worked out perfectly. So we wrote, it's not like I only wrote the male perspective and she wrote the female. We both were. Yeah. um, And so that was something new. You know, that was that was doing something new, trying to uh, do that genre. You said the Hallmark model. Is that like a Christmas thing? Because I always think of like Hallmark as just making Christmas movies. That might just be. Um, Hallmark is Christmas and it's also romance. Oh, okay. So you know, like... and those two can cross over. Yeah. So a yeah. lot of them are, are Christmas romances. Uh, but some of them are, are just uh, romances and uh, or romantic comedies or. Uh, so that was something new. That was something different, challenging myself to do that. And then the thriller was my first thriller. Now, I filmed as an actor three thr- thrillers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of introduced me to that genre. Not that I had never seen a thriller in the theaters. I have. Yeah. But this introduced me to um, the lifetime thriller. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Genre. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I had an idea and I knew enough from the three films that I had shot of kind of the basics for, of what needed to be in, in the screenplay. And so mm-hmm. we went about that and, and um, I actually really liked, re- really liked that script. I feel like working on a thriller or a mystery has got to be daunting because it always fascinates me when, you know, there's that twist at the end or they've done such a good job of kind of like seeding in little clues all along the way that you don't really see. But if you go you know, the sixth sense, you know, is, is kind of that perfect, you know, you find spoiler alert, everybody, if you haven't seen it, um, Bruce Willis is dead. And then I remember in the theaters, like almost a lot going, no, he talked to people. And then like on the second viewing, you're like, no, he didn't. He was in the same room, but wasn't necessarily talking with the person did you was that a struggle to kind of like keep things in that kind of weird mystery thriller style i mean Um, maybe maybe six cents is not quite the right comparison but i just find those kind of movies intimidating to even try and think yeah i i mean well first of all six cents is you know is a a major movies you know it's it's in a on a different level but I know what you mean. And um, 
the first thing I do when I write is, is, is I usually do a very thorough outline. Mm-hmm. So I have an idea of what my roadmap is and, and where those twists and turns might be. And then once I start the, the script, then sometimes intuitively I'll have an idea or we'll have an idea to do something. And so you kind of discover um, these twists as you're writing. And in some cases, you know, we're going to have this surprise twist Mm -hmm. happen here in the third act. Yeah. And we're going to have, and we're going to do a, you know, we're going to do a twist cliffhanger at the, at the end. So, you know, sometimes what you're going to do, you don't know exactly what it's going to be. Maybe when you get there, you think, well, okay, we've gotten here. Here's where we are. What, what can we do? So yeah, that's definitely a key element is having those, those twists and turns and, and little surprises throughout the movie. Um, but I, I, I didn't find it to be, you know, um, all that difficult. I think it was, um, yeah, it was something new. Yeah. Definitely you, something new. Yeah. Have you ever kind of had like maybe a specific scene idea where you're like, Oh, this is going to, you know, I love this scene. And then as the course of your writing, or whatever that quite doesn't fit and it hits the cutting room floor more or less, do you, everything kind of like, okay, maybe I'm going to keep that scene in the back of my, my head for, and try to work it into a future project. Like, have you ever had that kind of sort of thing? I I've never had the sort of thing where I, I hang on to a scene to put it aside for something in the future, but definitely part of rewriting is rewriting. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you can get through a first draft, and then you, you sit on it for a little bit and then you come back to it and you give it a pass, you know, the rewriting starts. And then suddenly you start to see uh, what's missing, um, what you need, and you start to add stuff and you start to take away stuff. And then at some point, sometimes you, you realize you have to lose scenes or you have to, or you have to edit them, cut, cut them down quite a bit. Um, but, you know, as they call it in the writing world, it's called losing your babies Yeah, because no writer wants, to, you know, it's like, and I've had some really in particular was on the first screenplay because I spent so much time on that. And it's such a personal story to me that there were some scenes on there that I had worked a long time on. And, you know, we made the, my co-writer and I, we just made the decision, okay, we've got to cut it. And there were some scenes I was like, God, but it's such a brilliant scene and it really was it just <laughs> yeah. you can't in some movies you you can't tell everything right right most movies are an hour and a half two hours so y- y- you can't tell everything and and so sometimes you got to pick and choose okay this scene is really funny it's got a lot going on but we don't have the we don't have we don't have the space we gotta yeah. we gotta lose doesn't it. move the story but, forward or whatever yeah, it doesn't move the story forward or you have other scenes that are like it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so those have been tough. The other ones uh, in, 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 the, in the last two screenplays, it was really easy. When we needed to cut something, it was like, usually like, yeah, let's get rid of that. We, we agreed, like, let's, we don't need that. It's too long. It's going on and on. It's redundant. It doesn't do anything for the story. Like, 
Yeah, I, I can imagine if if that first one was a much more personal story, then it, it's harder. You know, of course. I mean, things that mean more to you are, are harder to kind of dispose of. You know. Yeah, and also in some scenes when it's just it's just basic conversation between businessman and his assistant about mm-hmm. the dues of the day and coffee, like you know, it's, it's a transitional scene. So it's not doing that much. You do need those scenes and you can make some moments out of them, but, but those are easier to cut than um, a scene that really has some punch. Right. Like I'm thinking about the first screenplay. I mean, like there's, you know, a really incredible, unique scene, but you just don't have room for it. You just don't have room for it. You know, I always find it bizarre when you know you see some of these movies, and you may not pick it up on the first time, but like the more you watch it, you're kind of like, why is this? Why is this scene in here? Like, how did this get through? This is, you know, the ones that kind of interrupt the flow of the movie, or you know, it's sometimes I just don't understand the decision making. I guess that would make that happen to the hmm. point where it's actually in the movie. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't know and then you get into the whole editing process. Oh, I suppose that's true. It's good. You know. Yeah. Uh, who is it? Someone was saying that you know, it, it's I feel like that now I'm going to paraphrase cuz I can't remember who it was, but they basically said, you know, you can't really blame the actors cuz it's more like the movie's more in the editor's hands once it's once it's been shot. The actors can't really do too much about it, but a bad editor could like really ruin a performance. Editors are really important. Yeah. I I think you need both, but yeah, but an, an editor can definitely keep the keep the movie moving and can and it can definitely edit the movie so that the scenes are you know as effective as as you want them to be do you ever want to act in the movies that you've written or maybe pick up like the director's hat or or kind of try other things um i'm definitely open i'm not married to it yeah um the second movie that i wrote um which takes place in the philippines believe it or not Mm -hmm. um it's supposed to be myself, my writing partner and his brother. And we've all been friends for 25 years. And so we're supposed to be the three leads, um, the American leads. And then everybody else in the movie is, is from the Philippines. Yeah. Um, but again, I've been, you know, telling the guys like, um, you know, I think we need to be flexible and open. And like, I think the, for me, the important thing is, is bringing the story to life and it being seen by as many people as possible. And if that means that I'm not in the movie, I'm fine with that. Uh, in the thriller, I wrote a little part for myself. It, it, it's a, the opening scene uh, yeah. with the female lead. It's, it's, it's one scene. And um, I didn't, I didn't write the, there's all the other characters would not fit into my casting or, or age group ideas. Yeah. Um so yeah, some of them, the first screenplay, I mean, I have some friends that are going, you're an idiot if you don't play that role. It's you. And I'm like, 
you know, I'm, I'm just like, well, okay. I'm just, I'm staying open. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's a good way to be. I mean, you, you I, know, it's, if that's the deciding factor between your movie being made and not made, then. Listen, I have a lot of respect for people, you know, Sylvester Stallone being one of them was just like, I'm doing this. I'm, you know, but for me, it's like, I, I don't have to, it's not going to, I'm, my top priority is the story coming to life and impacting people or mm-hmm. entertaining them, depending on what the genre is. Um, and so it's not one of those things of like, I absolutely have to play the title role or uh, whatever it is. As far as directing, um, um, I, I wrote some shorts and I'm considering directing a couple of them. That's probably where I would start just as yep. an experiment. You know, um, I like working with actors. I've got a good eye. Um, I would never try to compare myself to what directors actually do because they do mm-hmm. so much. Um, um, but I might, yeah, I might try to direct a, a couple of those shorts uh, for fun. I feel like there's been a lot of the or more and more of those coming out. I remember maybe like late eight, late, late nineties, early two thousands. There was, uh, there's a lot of like fan-made shorts air quotes around fan-made um from like star wars and all these like kind of sci-fi movies but I, i've even seen there was one that i mistook as a trailer um and it was a robin williams biopic and it's a short just of um oh my god i can't remember the actor's name now but uh playing robin williams where um his co-star from Mork and Mindy comes in and tells him that uh, uh, Belushi had passed. And just, it was such an amazing performance. It's the point where I'm like, that needs to be a movie. It's so good. Wow. So I almost feel like that kind with this day and age where, where everyone has access to all the software in the world that they need and a platform like YouTube where they could get those things out. It's, you know, a short is almost like a, a business card or, or a small pitch to, to make a larger movie. Yeah. Yeah. I listen, I've written three shorts, two of them are they're they're humdingers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, people love them. They're, they're really powerful pieces. Um, so Yeah. That's cool. No, it's an interesting time we live in. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely, definitely doing, doing a great short. Uh, it would be a great experience for me. And also I really want to tell these stories. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, well, uh, where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, do you have social media handles and all that sort of, you know, the promotional type stuff. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and my handle is Michael D v z and deadlock is out now and our listeners should go check deadlock. that out he's, yeah he's not out at recording. yeah but i mean when the episode goes up it'll be out so okay um so our listeners can go check that out I, did you say it was amazon prime i can't remember. uh it's gonna be in theaters on demand and vod so it'll be on okay. every, it'll be on anywhere where you can you know rent movies Excellent. Mike, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It was a pleasure and uh, best of luck, man. This was great. I really enjoyed this. Thanks. And uh, for our listeners, we'll see you guys again next week.
And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns, or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.